Namaste, yogis and friends. I'm Kino McGregor. And I'm Tim Feldman. And we would like to welcome you to Miami Life Centers podcast. Welcome, everybody. At least the ones of you that showed up, like you. Uh, my name is Tim, and um, <coughs> I'm the founder of this place, together with my wife. She's in Bangkok. She's having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and um, so today is the fifth talk out of our eight talks this summer. Is that right? Six, six. Sixth talk. Six. Yes, <coughs> starting really good. Um, and um, so what we have wanted to do this uh, summer was to draw a little bit of attention to what is yoga besides the asanas? Because in the West, usually when we start to do yoga, it means that we start to do physical exercises on a piece of plastic. So uh, we wanted to <coughs> um, just give you guys the possibility to hear a little bit about what else is uh, going on when we talk about yoga from a classic uh, perspective. So um, the previous uh, talks has been uh, following the eight limbs of Ashtanga Yoga. Ashtanga means eight, Anga means leg or limb, pillar. And um, <coughs> so this is the not the fifth, but the sixth uh, pillar uh, today. It's called Talana concentration. The first one is uh, called Yama, and that is um, about how we live uh, amongst other people. It's about observances uh, in a social manner, um, how we treat other people. And I won't go into what that is. Um, and then the second one is uh, Yama, <coughs> because we've done that already. And then the second one is Yama, is about how we live in harmony with ourselves, not only with others, but also with ourselves. And uh, then uh, there is uh, uh, comes Asana, <coughs> which is the one that you probably all know. And then there's also pranayama, which is a similar type of practice, but where uh, asana, we say, targets the body, then pranayama uh, uh, targets our energetic body instead. And then after that comes pratyahara. Um, and pratyahara means withdrawal of the senses, which means basically to begin to uh, pay less attention to all the external stimuli that comes at us or for that sake, some of the internal stimuli uh, also start to navigate the space um, between which stimuli is uh, useful for us and which are not useful for us, which is beneficial and which is not beneficial. And then after that comes the three um, internal limbs, the um, antara limbs, the antara uh, part, which is called the in, which means the internal part of the Ashtanga Yoga system. The first one is called the external ones, and we say the external ones can be practiced. For instance, Niyama, the first one, uh, is non-violence. It's about treating other people without hitting them first. And um, that can be practiced, if you haven't noticed. You know, you can choose whether you want to hit somebody or if you don't want to hit somebody. And uh, the same thing with uh, Yamas, the first, uh, the Niyamas, the first Niyama is uh, Saucha, and Saucha means purity or cleanliness, and that can be practiced. You know, you can wake up every day, you could take a shower, you cannot take a shower. And the same when we talk about purity, we also talk about purity of thought and speech. So you can choose to uh, 
go off on a limb on Facebook on some comment, or you can choose not to do that. You know, so that can be practiced. Um, and the same thing thing with asana, with yoga postures, that can be practiced, and uh, pranayama can be practiced. And pratyahara, now we come over in the gray zone. So sometimes we call the last four, we call the internal limbs, and sometimes we call the last three the internal limbs. Depends a little bit who you ask and which system we look at it from. But for certain, karana, dhyana, and samadhi, that is the internal part of yoga. Um, and we, it's the little, the final trinity that we also call samyama. I will uh, come back to that. <coughs> So I've made, taken a lot of notes here, and let's see if I get through all this before we finish at midnight, right? So <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay. We don't finish at midnight, so. Um, so um, the eight, the Ashtanga system, as presented for, by Patanjali. So Patanjali is a historical figure. Maybe it's one person. Maybe it's a group of people uh, over. A few hundred years is uh, widely uh, considered uh, to have been influential and have been creating their uh, view on the world uh, around the fourth century after Christ. Uh, so what's that? That's like 16, 1700 years something like that ago since the Yoga Sutras was uh, written. <coughs> and the idea with Yoga Sutras is to create a map, is to create a map for us yoga uh, aspirants, us yoga practitioners to navigate Uh, with um, towards um, a more happy and more fulfilling life or as Patanjali calls it towards a state of freedom a state of liberation where we are no longer um, living in a state of conflict and friction and suffering which he states that we are right now believe it or not <coughs> won't go into that either we went over that that takes a takes then that we would finish in the morning we don't want to do that Okay, um, so in that way, uh, the eight steps of yoga, the eight pillars of yoga, the eight limbs of yoga, the Ashtanga yoga uh, system, um, intends <coughs> to be a way to achieve uh, physical, mental, emotional, psychological, uh, spiritual um, health and uh, vitality um, for all of us. Um, and it, it does that by us uh, beginning to apply ourselves to all eight pillars of the of this uh, this, this system, and in that regard, um, Tarana is a cornerstone, is a key uh, piece in beginning uh, to do that. So Tarana, which we talk about tonight, uh, means concentration in its uh, most uh, simple um, uh, translation. Thank you very much. Um, so if we, if we ask uh, Patanjali what, uh, what he says about it, um, he states what Tarana is, he, what constitutes Tarana. He states that as the first sutra in the third book, the uh, Vibhuti Pada in the Yoga Sutras. And he <coughs> says, Desha Banda Chitasya Tarana. And Desha means place, and um, Banda means um, to uh, hold or to fix, or you know the word Banda probably from your yoga practice. Um, we talk about it as the Mula Banda and the Uddiyana Banda. And it is a, a activity and it is a 
a binding. We say that we are creating bondage between us and our anus, for instance, in the Mulbanda. And in this case, we are creating a bonding for our mind to hang on to. So we are, um, what we're trying to do, we are trying to fix, we're trying to bind our mind in one place. Mm -hmm. That's what we're trying to do. So that is the simple um, uh, Sanskrit definition of what tarana is, of what concentration is. The idea is that if we can uh, find ourselves <coughs> uh, concentrating in one place, uh, placing our, uh, our mind in one place, instead of in a different place all the time, um, then we can begin to um, go a little bit deeper into what reality is, or we can go a little bit deeper into what that particular object of choice is, that we can potentially begin to penetrate the form, the material appearance of what that object is. <clears throat> that object could, for instance, be my glasses, but it could also be a concept like compassion or um, physical engagement, like what does that mean? So we can begin to, um, if we can hold the mind for a little bit on that object, on that concept, on that, uh, on one idea, we can begin to reflect and go a little bit deeper. Now, if we cannot hold our mind on in one place from this moment, keeping it there to the next moment, keeping it there to the next moment, then we can't get any of that information out. If we can place if what happens is that when we place our mind on an object in this moment, but then it shifts to this object in the next moment, and it shifts to this object in the next moment, and it keeps going like this, then we cannot get to know anything about neither of these objects. Does that make any sense? Mm -hmm. Only by choosing to place the mind in one place can we begin to um, get a little bit deeper uh, into the whole thing. Yeah. So that's what we mean with holding. We mean we hold it from in the same place, from one moment to the next moment to the next moment to the next moment. Yeah. All right. Um, so traditionally, we uh, yoga suggests to hold our mind on an internal object or an external object. At first, we we consider it little bit more useful, a little bit easier maybe, to place our mind on an external object. So if any of you have taken a, a meditation course, then a very typical way to start a meditation course is to put a candlelight and then you put your mind on the flame and you try to be present with the flame and not start to think about the grocery list and not think about what you did yesterday and not think about how you feel in your body and not think about all these kind of things, yeah? So, um, and that is, we call it meditation in the West, but in principle, like fr from the classic yogic point of view, we don't call that meditation at all. We call that concentration training, and that's all. We call it tarana training. We call it preparing the mind for a state which perhaps later can be, we maybe can call a meditative state. Yeah. So, 
um, <clears throat> in the beginning, for instance, a flame is a really good idea. If you have a particular uh, religious or philosophical inclination, you can put your mind on a deity like Jesus or like uh, uh, Krishna or Muhammad or whichever direction that you go to, which is very useful. And um, I forgot which text that is. Oh, the Mahabharata, I think. There's a whole um, description from a theistic point of view, from a Godhead point of view, where it is described how to place your uh, your concentration, your mind, on the deity of Vishnu, and how by placing your mind on the um, delicacy of his uh, skin, on the perfectness of his robe, of the fragrance of the flower uh, garland that he has around, on the beauty of the golden ornaments that he's wearing, and that kind of thing. So like almost making the image of Vishnu a three-dimensional kind of sensuous experience. Does that make sense? Like almost like falling in love with Vishnu. How that is of great use to um, come into a more natural state of dharana. Now, of course, no one says that you should like try to fall in love with Vishnu. This is an example. Does that make sense? Um, let me just say in that regard also, um, it seems apparent to me that when we talk about yoga and we talk about um, the Yoga Sutras by Patanjali or we talk about yoga as uh, defined in the Bhagavad Gita, which is the, uh, the two main authorities on what yoga is. And if you're interested in figuring out what, what yoga actually is, those are the two texts that you want to read. The Yoga Sutras is like reading math. And um, the Bhagavad Gita is like reading a poem. So if you have an inclination, you take one or the other. And they portray slightly different um, uh, definitions, slightly different uh, paths and ideas about what yoga is. Uh, generally, Patanjali, he's a little bit more hardcore. And Krishna, he's a little softer, a little kinder, a little bit more loving in his uh, way of talking about it. But both of these guys, they are working with the Godhead. They are working with a theistic idea, the idea that there is such a thing as a God, and that if you, we can uh, apply ourselves to um, uh, such a, a concept, then it is very helpful for our continuous growth and our development as a human being. Now, Krishna, he's pretty, de pretty dead set on that's the, that's the way to go. But Patanjali, he says, it is very useful but it's not necessary. He says, if, if uh, religious belief, if not of your inclination, there is another path that you can, you can walk. It's called the path of effort. And that's basically what his whole book is about, uh, the Yoga Sutras. All right. So um, now something interesting about uh, Tarana is that, oh, maybe I should say, so we had the, the outside, um, object that we can take, we also have an inside object that we can take. And when we take an inside object, then like classically there would be the chakras. There would be placing our, uh, in our mind, our attention on one of the chakras. Now in Ashtanga Yoga we don't talk very much about uh, the chakras and I don't know very much about the chakras. And sometimes, you know, some time ago I thought, oh, I'm a yoga teacher. 
I don't know what the chakras really is. There's something wrong here, you know, in my education. So I asked uh, Tim Miller, I said, do you, uh, do you talk about the chakras? He's like, no. It's like, all right. Do you uh, use them in your practice? No. Do you think about, he's the pranayama man, right? He was sure about energy. Do you uh, kind of like go and explore them in your pranayama? No. He said, he's a man of few words, as you can hear. And then uh, I was like, ah, at least, you know, maybe I'm not the only one then. And then uh, when Eddie Stern, who is also a senior to me when he was here not too long ago, I also asked him, I said, what does chakras, you know, reign in your understanding of yoga and in your, your practice of yoga as a teacher and as a practitioner? He was like, I don't know, you know. <laughs> so um, that kind of gave me the permission to not go and study that any further. So I won't talk so much about that. But classically, uh, when we talk about the the, uh, the the internal focus, we're talking about placing our mind on uh, one of the chakras. But in Ashtanga Yoga, we we tend to to, uh, to work with <coughs> at least one particular uh, chakra, the Muladhara. We work with a lot because it is so practical when we do our asana practice and even more so when we do our pranayama so and that is a chakra so um, when we are in ashtanga yoga mode <coughs> according to patap joyce then we are working with mula bandha very very clearly and i thought to do a little exercise a little bit later <coughs> in that regard um uh, where am i so we work <coughs> with putting our attention on Mula Bandha and, and, and Mula Dala, and that is a Tarana exercise. And as a matter of fact, if we look at um, the classic Indian um, uh, concept of what yoga is, there's four yoga style, four yoga types. There is Raja Yoga, Jnana Yoga, Bhakti Yoga, and uh, Karma Yoga. And what we're doing falls under Karma Yoga or perhaps uh, Raja Yoga at least if we try to penetrate just the asana. So <clears throat> when we're doing asana, what is widely considered is if you want to store, s study Raja Yoga, then the, 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 which is the king of yoga, or Jnana Yoga, which is the, uh, the true knowledge of what yoga is, then um, you need to be able to concentrate. So when you study these types of yoga, it is very often um, sub, not substituted, but uh, what's it called, supplemented with uh, an asana practice. And if that goes well, with, then with a pranayama practice, because there we can go in and we can practice the concentration very, very clearly. So in that way, our asana practice is um, an object outside of ourselves that we put our mind to. So that makes sense? So that's how we start. We learn the series. We try not to look too much over Alex. He has this really nice t-shirt on and Lululemon pants. I would also like to have them. I don't have them. You know, we try not to do that so much when we do our asana practice. So, <clears throat> and we try to draw inside. And then there are, um, we practice from a, a, a trifold uh, method called the Tristana. Maybe you heard about it before, which is asana and um, uh, yoga posture and the breathing 
and the gaze where we put our eyes and so there's different places that we put our eyes but the base tracy is our nose and the basic idea is that i don't look over towards i look super nice outfit all the time i look here instead so then i look a little bit over there so every time i go like that then i'm losing my concentration does that make sense so <clears throat> we're trying not to do that so slowly as we get a little bit more accustomed to the yoga practice we start to be less and less involved in what goes on outside of us when we are on the yoga mat so that begins to be a narrowing down of our focus that begins to be a sharpening of our senses that begins to be a more dedicated use of our mind um, <clears throat> so when we uh, practice asana a lot, we get sharper mind, we say, which is the uh, intention of the asana practice. Not so much to get the leg behind the head. And this is also why sometimes if you're very flexible and really a natural of all this, the yoga asana is now of no use to you. Because if everything, you can just do everything in a handstand and then you can jump back and then you can put your leg behind the head and then you can backbend and all that then if that is very easy then it's hard to keep the mind in the activity if it is hard then you must keep your activity your your mind there in the activities that make sense so when people say oh i'm very stiff i cannot do yoga i think oh you would be perfect you would be the natural yogi or uh, richard freeman maybe you know about him he says many wise things and one of his favorite his favorite quotes uh, or my favorite quote of his is he says Blessed are the stiff. And I think what he means with that, uh, probably many things, but one of them is that if you are stiff, you will meet yourself quicker. You will be confronted with yourself. And it is there in the interface with myself that I can begin to learn something. Not so much in putting my leg behind the head. The idea with putting the leg behind my head is to meet myself. Ah, if it goes, I go, oh, I'm awesome. You know, maybe I don't have that outfit, but look at my leg here. You know, I see this? Yeah. So that's one possibility, right? Another possibility is it's not going there, but Alex's go leg is going there. I go, ah, oh, I want to be like Alex. Oh, why, Alex? I hope Alex will break his leg so he can put it there also. Or whatever goes on in the mind. Or, oh, I can't do it, but Alex can do it. Good for him. I'll keep trying. Whatever it is, right? So we're trying to, so in that interface of me and the asana, I begin to figure out what goes on in me, <clears throat> what goes on in my mind, and what goes on with my emotions. You've heard the word before, we call it the vrittis. So <clears throat> when th they start to, um, uh, to act up inside, when you're doing your asana, oh, that's where the yoga starts. So I think that's what Richard Freeman is talking about when he says, blessed are the stiff, because if you're stiff, oh, all the time you're like, Oh, Alex is so good at this, I'm so bad at this, or whatever it is, yeah? All right, <clears throat> All right. let's see what else I can figure out here. Okay, so then there's another little bit annoying piece of information here, and that is that we say that Tarana, Tiana, and Samadhi, the three internal limbs, uh, cannot be practiced. What does that mean? You've just been telling us we should be doing it and we're doing the practice and stuff. And what is meant with that is that it is something that we can create a situation 
um, where we can uh, yeah we can create a situation where Tarana can f um, come out of can grow from but I cannot say to myself now I'm going to be uh, in a state of concentration that's not possible but I can put a candlelight and I can put my mind to it and when I think about Alex like behind the head and his seven different Lululemon limited outfits <laughs> then I can try to come back to the um, uh, to the flame there all the time so now I am setting up a situation where I have the possibility to possibly enter the state of Tarana but now we started to divide into two different Taranas the one the state of Tarana and the attempt to move into the state of Tarana. Does that make sense? And so there's many tools to move into the uh, state of Tarana. And Asana is one and Pranayama is the other. The two that is suggested as the third and the fourth limb. Got that right, right? Yeah, I think so. In the, th the third and the fourth limb of Patanjali's uh, eight limbs. And there's there's other ones. There's Japa, there is, um, which is like a recital, a mantra, and all kinds of stuff uh, that we can do. And what is what Patanjali suggests, he doesn't say you must do asana. He says you must take up a modality of practice where a discipline where you can begin to move yourself into a sharper state of mind, also called Tarana. Yeah. Okay. So um can we do a little exercise? Mm -hmm. Actually come come in here it's, it's gonna start raining out there if you want come in you can also sit there so because you might sit here and think like yeah yeah concentration I got that you know I went through college you know I got a master's degree I can concentrate you know and things like that and <clears throat> to some degree you're right but we're trying to like come into a different kind of concentration we are kind of we're trying to move into a place of concentration where the mind settles and quietness and becomes quiet yeah it is like a little bit ambitious type of um, uh, concentration that we are after so let's try a little exercise that like a classic little pranayama exercise here and let's see uh, how that goes so take a moment and straighten your back and if you can then just move off the wall so you sit by your spine and not by the sheet rock of Miami Life Center and then just take a moment and close your eyes <clears throat> take a deep breath in and take a deep breath out and if you're familiar with the Ujjayi breath Go ahead and apply a gentle Ujjayi breath. And just feel that sensation in your throat, in your chest, that comes when we engage the muscles in the throat. And allow your ears to tune into that sound. 
So these are devices for Tarana. Just notice your mind. Is it absorbed in the activity only? Or is it absorbed in the activity while many other things flashes through your mind? Maintain your ujjayi breath, or whatever breath you're doing. And then try this also. Let's work with the most basic um, <coughs> and initiating activity of the concept of mulabandha, <coughs> which we call squish your anus. So allow yourself for a moment to squish your anus. And when you squeeze your anus, try not to squeeze the buttocks, try not to squeeze your thighs, try to just squeeze the anus. As if you're holding in a fart. <laughs> <laughs> that is not a classic uh, interpretation of that but instruction. But it tends to work. <coughs> <laughs> Just notice here. So there was a little joke, and then there was a reaction. And what happened to your anus? <laughs> Did you lose it, or was it kept a little firm throughout the reaction to the joke? And maybe you noticed that while your mind got involved in this little funny moment then your body let go of the activity and if that's the case <coughs> it's pretty much what we mean with dharana trying to hold the mind in one place from one moment into the next moment into the next moment and into the next moment and as you can see in this little exercise, what is important is that we withdraw our senses from unnecessary stimuli. Unnecessary stimuli would be stimuli that does not support the activity that we're doing. So all the <coughs> stimuli that supports the activity that we're doing, we call those essential. And all the stimuli that does not support the activity that we do, that is considered non-essential. So that would be a little crash course in the yogic commitment. And then let go of your anus. And open up your eyes. And come back. Is it making sense? So, we take a focus 
and it's good as long as everything supports that you know it's quiet in the house your favorite TV show is not on you're not hungry there's no one to be angry at and so forth right as long as there is like ideal situation concentration possible as soon as one little thing sneaks in a good thing or a bad thing sneaks in oh concentration goes does that make sense so what Patanjali suggests for us is or wants for us is that we come to a state of concentration that is firm and that is the word is unwavering and no matter what is flashing as my philosopher teacher says oh what is flashing in the mind well no matter what is flashing in our mind concentration is still kept boom on the spot yeah so that is tarana little bit more and then if you have some questions let's open up for that so you can see to come to that state of concentration to that level to that depth to that yeah, of concentration we need some preparation and the more preparation we do the better we get at it and the preparation that we're doing is the discipline that we take up in uh, yoga we call that the tapas we call that the action that can lead to positive transformation yeah and <clears throat> the first thing of the positive transformation that is going on is health and later this is one of them the tadana that we are able to maintain focus no matter what happens uh, around us um, and <clears throat> So we have these two modalities that he suggests, and we have the asana, which is considered the more coarse, the more gross is often the, use, the word that is used, and the less refined. It is the body. I move it. I feel it. <clears throat> I can see it while I do it. As long as I do that, that is a really large, gross situation to practice general keeping the mind in one place. Nest. Yeah? When that starts to work out really fine, we move on to pranayama. In pranayama, we don't work with the body. We work with inside the body. We work with the, the breath inside the body and the movement inside the body. And we focus on that alone. Yeah, when we get better at that, then that's when we can move in to more, even more subtle um, concentration exercises such as sitting with the flame looking at your favorite uh, deity or something like that yeah <clears throat> so here's the thing like I want one last thing I want to present present you for and that's called Samyama maybe you've heard about it before so Samyama is a little trinity and that is Tarana, Tiana and Samadhi uh, together and Tiana we won't go and Samadhi we won't go so much into because Next week, Alex Santos, uh, who's teaching here, she will come and talk about Tiana. And then the week after that, then Jaya, he will come and he will um, help you experience true samadhi. And we weren't quite sure how to do that. So we asked Jaya if he would come in because he does music in Kirtan and dance and feast and kind of stuff. We thought, yeah, that, let, let's make a celebration. So I think what uh, Jaya is going to do, he's going to do a little talk. 
and then that's gonna be he's bringing in his whole Kirtan Indian band uh, for some music uh, and some chanting and stuff like that. Okay. Um, by the way, it might be a good idea to cancel the master class that day. Okay. <coughs> um, all right. So Tiana is um, the state of Tarana taken even further. So Tiana is when the concentration becomes true absorption. So when we are, when we leave the state where we are trying to concentrate and where concentrate is an effort until uh, and we come into a state where the mind is deeply absorbed in its object in its subject. Yeah? So <clears throat> that would be Tiana. And then the next state that we can slide through uh, uh, through Tarana and through uh, doing our best to concentrate to uh, through being really absorbed and then um, the next state that comes is Samadhi where we come to a state where there's no longer a difference between me and what I am putting my mind at. So we say we have this concept of duality there's a difference between the medita meditator and the object of meditation so when we move into uh, Tiana then I am meditating on this object it is still clear for me that I am not the object I am meditating on it now when I and I am starting to uh, have a relationship and an understanding and a knowledge about what that object is now when I move into um, Samadhi He then the thin veil between my experience of myself and my experience of the object disappears. <coughs> and in the word of my uh, philosophy teacher, true empathy happens between me and the object. There is no longer a separation between me and the object. And I really like the way that he defines samadhi as true empathy. empathy. Somehow I think it's a beautiful way. Uh, to think about it <coughs> and um, it means so with empathy it means that we truly understand and we are now truly connected and there is no difference between that subject and myself anyway we won't go so much into that <coughs> that is Jaya he will talk about that so when we move into Samyama that is considered the state where we can begin to experience reality and before that we can only knock at the shell of the appearance of the material form about what reality truly is according to yoga yeah so when you can see um, this whole situation as <clears throat> like if you have a piece of iron it is hard and firm and if you apply heat to it it starts to become buoyant and you can mold it and if you apply more heat to it it becomes liquid it is still iron it is still the same fabric it is still the same idea it is just three states of the same thing so that image that analogy we use also for samyama tarana becomes you apply more heat, more practice, becomes Tiana. You apply more practice, becomes Samadhi. <coughs> um, 
Yeah. <clears throat> so when we move through that, then we have the possibility to move into this famed state of samadhi, which is the state of yoga. And through the state of samadhi, we have the possibility to find what we call the truth-bearing state. And through the truth-bearing state, we have the possibility to begin to experience the Dharma Mega, which is the cloud of virtue, which is the cloud of infinite omniscience. Uh, omniscience? Is that the omniscience? omniscience yeah? And <clears throat> through that, um, we start to let go of the most deeply rooted avidya, <coughs> ignorance, darkness, and not knowing which according to Patanjali is the reason for all our troubles in the world. And when that starts to go, then we reach uh, Kaivalya, which is the state that it means something, Kaivalya means something like where you are alone. It means like the state where you are by yourself. There is nothing else now. You, ha you have left everything else. So that's what we are looking for, and that is also called liberation or freedom. Yeah. So we are after Kaivalya. To get to Kaivalya, we need to move into this um, cloud of virtue, this state of virtue where everything is known, everything is experienced truly. That we get into, into through the state of Samadhi, which is the state where all conflict ends. That we get into through Tiana, absorption, and Tarana, concentration. And in the process of this, we developed <coughs> we developed what's called prajna aloka, or also viveka kyatir, meaning basically the same, which means um, the light of knowledge, the lamp of discrimination, the place where we begin to know what is right and what is wrong, as in what is right and what is wrong, as in knowing it and experiencing it. And we get into that, we begin to experience that through samyama. And samyama we get through beginning to do to experience pratyahara, where we begin to be less concerned with everything that is unessential to this whole journey, and begin to move our senses towards what is useful, beneficial, and essential to be on this path. To get to this state, we need to practice. We need to prepare. And that preparation is considered our discipline, uh, our tapas, our asana and our pranayama. And to do asana and pranayama and not go wrong, we need to know how to live in harmony with ourselves. That's called niyama. And we need to know how to live in harmony with everything else on the whole, in, the, in the world, all other people and everything else. And that is called Yama. So those are the the eight limbs, uh, like that. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> you can hear it looks like it's a decent afternoon project, you know, <laughs> to practice yoga. So um, no, it's like it's a very ambitious uh, idea, and um, along the way, you know, uh, I was never personally very interested in this whole Samadhi Kaivalya enlightenment idea. It's like, yeah, I'm not going to get there anyway. I don't need to be concerned with that. 
until I started to study this thing and my philosophy teacher made me aware that there was such a thing as a state where true knowledge is, where there's no doubt, where you know what's right and wrong. And I thought, holy guacamole, that <laughs> would be awesome. Imagine, you know, you go out and you buy a car and you're like, should I take the red one or should I take the blue one? And you're like, you just know which color you're gonna choose, you know what I mean? Or you sit in the vegan restaurant and she said, should I have the fake meatballs? Or should I have the fake, you know, pepperoni, you know, and you just know instantly it's the pepperoni that you should have, right? I don't know about you, but <clears throat> like I just often feel that all these decisions I have to take, you know, it's so hard to figure out what's going on. So when I heard that Patanjali like was promising me a truth bearing state, you know, where I knew, I was like, all right, man. I will practice again tomorrow and I will do, you know, all the asanas tomorrow, promise, you know. <laughs> Even backbending I will also do. So, um, yeah. okay. Um, yeah, I think that's what I had to say today. Um, any questions or, yes, Monica? I have two. All right. Um, so is Dharana something like Mudabandha, you're supposed to be practicing it all day long, every day, throughout the day? That's one question. Mm -hmm. And um, Just like you do with Mudabandha? All the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, the second question is um, sort of like Yoga Shichita Vriti. Do we, we try to do that at least in our asana practice, so when we have real strife in our life, yeah. um, we can occupy or escape through other activities or concentrate through certain actions, and then at 2 a.m. we're lying awake staring at something, and we're flooded with 40,000 thoughts. So yeah. can the subconscious mind practice that enough? You know, <clears throat> so one, are you supposed to practice tarana all the time? I don't know if it's possible. You know, if you live in a cave in the forest and someone brings you food, <laughs> then maybe it's possible. Until a tiger comes, then you have to change your mind from Vishnu's garment to the tiger, right? So, and the same thing when we live modern lives, you need to. I would very much like you to be concentrated on driving when you go home tonight. Yeah, <laughs> that is very important and whatever appears. But at the same time, be able to be concentrated on that. So maybe turn off your phone, turn off the music, you know, and, all, and so forth, or whatever that takes to be fully concentrated on the Miami traffic, which is crazy already, right? So there's, um, there's, I think we, we're, but when you, if you want to go for like a more pure state of tarana, which is less complex and um, a more pure state of tarana where you can keep yourself better accountable, mm -hmm. then that's when you take up the practice. Then that's where we go in and we do asana, we do mantra recitation, we do pranayama, we do something of that type. Yeah. And um, 
by doing that, um, and I think if you you probably experience this, we become better at switching off the unnecessary. So we can focus when we need to. Yeah. Now. Um, and Tishnat Han has also said that if you're washing dishes, just wash yes. the dishes. Enjoy the water. Enjoy the soap. Don't. Yes. So just whatever trivial thing you might be doing, just be immersed. You can you can do Tristana method on washing the dishes. You wash the dishes, you breathe, and you put your gazing point at the dishes. Don't put it at the nose, then you have more, no more dishes afterwards. <laughs> but so that you can take that as a tapas. Like I have not done any Zen meditation. I think I've taken one class, but that doesn't count, I think. And they do two types of meditation. They do sitting meditation and walking meditation. And then when you go to the monastery, then you also do cleaning meditation and fixing the library meditation. And, you know, everything because comes meditation in there. And then the your other thing is like when you go through trouble and you are swarmed with thoughts, with troubling thoughts, then if we have already established a place within ourselves where we have experienced that what that the thoughts that and the emotions that occupy us is not necessarily anything else than a momentarily a momentary coloring and that there is something that is more stable and something that is more permanent that will prevail when these thoughts and emotions has moved on, has shifted. Then I think that while we are experiencing those thoughts and those emotions, those states, becomes more bearable because it is not permanent and it is like a layering, it is a coloring of the moment rather than reality. Does that make sense? It is just there. And it needs to be dealt with, and it keeps us from sleeping, it keeps us from eating, it keeps, keeps it makes us worried, it makes us afraid, or whatever it does. Or the opposite, we fall in love, and everything is just awesome, and the other person can't do anything wrong, <laughs> and we give them our pin code to our credit card, you know, <laughs> you know, nothing you know, that is also a fleeting moment in the other way. But it doesn't sound like what you're going through right now. It sounds like you're more occupied with some troubled I just was wondering if there was a way to access the dharana in the subconscious state. Yeah. I do, I try to actually try to access the dharana in the subconscious Patanjali Om is the Ur sound from the universe. Like if you listen into the sound to the and the <coughs> most if you break 
the universe down to its most essential component, it is sound. The universe becomes sound. And that sound is AUM. Um. So when we, if we want to go to the end of the world, if we want to go to the beginning of beginnings, if we want to go and connect ourselves with a cosmic sense of reality, something like a reality, if we want to experience reality, then the best way to do it, according to Patanjali and Vedanta and other people, is to embrace the sound OM, for instance, by reciting it either out loud, or uttered, or in your mind. Either of those will work. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> um, more of just a contribution to the discussion. Um, mm -hmm. I hope it's not too abstract uh, uh, an analogy, but mm -hmm. um, so I'm a software developer, and um, Ten years ago, um, so you, you put a system into uh, into the world, and things are going to happen, right? Uh, bugs, um, systems going to go down. So ten years ago, they used to incentivize people on um, the least number of issues that happened. Okay? That's how you got incentivized. Um, so people put a, put a lot of effort in trying to um, predict what issues were going to come, and so future-proof and remove them so that didn't happen. But of course, what you didn't think of always happens. Um, yeah. Then, uh, about five years ago, they started to shift it, and they said, right, we're going to incentivize the guys on how quickly they recover. Hmm. Right. So it's like, we don't care that bugs happen. Because they, they will happen. happen. They will happen. Yeah. We want you guys to be good at recovering. Mm -hmm. And then they noticed that whilst the bugs happened, they came back to uh, like a normal state quicker. Mm -hmm. So this is probably where they say that the concentration is not an effort. Mm -hmm. The concentration is the goal. Mm -hmm. yeah. The effort comes in your recovery. Mm -hmm. So if you're not thinking, okay, I'm doing well if I'm not having any issues or thoughts in my head, mm -hmm. as soon as something comes into your mind, you're yes. like, I failed. Now something is wrong. Yes. Oh, no. But if you think, all right, thoughts here, great. How do I get myself back to concentration state as quickly as possible? Well, last week, somebody cuts in online, I was fuming for like a whole day. Right. This week, somebody cuts in line, an hour later, I was, I forgot enough. That's Your progress, mm -hmm. yes. You don't have to take that stuff all the way to right. bed with you. Mm -hmm. yeah. I just That's a great analogy, yeah. Working while I was just... The <laughs> recovery time, yeah. Uh, I've been cycling around a lot. Yeah. And it's very easy to have concentration whilst you're moving towards a goal. Mm -hmm. We can very much um, misinterpret ambition mm -hmm. for being having a concentrated mind. Mm -hmm. True concentration comes in when there's no ambition, mm -hmm. and that's mm. just before you get to bed. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To go to sleep, but yeah. how do you how do you move towards that? That's mm. that effortless. Mm. That is mm. probably <laughs> the true mm. practice mm. of it. How do I move to something that requires no effort? Mm. I surrender into this mm. the state. Mm. Yeah. So yes, mm. that's the hardest thing. Right. 
I've heard, I've heard that too, like mm. recovery, like coming back after you. Yes. I've heard Kino say that, like sometimes mm. she's in traffic and she gets mad. Mm. For how long time do you let that negative event affect you? Yes. Or the positive event, uh, event affect you to bring you out of equilibrium? Pose. Um, a guy, Jay Hills, he usually does the super auto uh, spirituality, but he actually has a serious um, uh, channel. Mm. So he asked him, you know, about balance. He the state of balance is actually fictitious because that implies something that's static. Exactly. Mm -hmm. We are constantly in a state of balancing. Even a surfer, we might appear to be in mm -hmm. perfect balance. No, he's doing micro little mm -hmm. corrections. Mm -hmm. He's recovering. He's permanently recovering. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter who you see, how balanced they might mm -hmm. appear, mm -hmm. they're still just doing micro mm -hmm. corrections. Mm -hmm. Just small things. Good one. Thank you. Anything else? Time to go home. It's raining out there. Or oh, time for a cup of tea. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Chat and Chai Yoga Talks from Miami Life Center. In this episode, Tim talked to us about the sixth limb of Ashtanga Yoga. But hopefully you've been following along with us in this series of eight episodes. In each of these recordings from our summer talks, one of our teachers or special guest goes into the philosophy and practice of one of the limbs along the eight limb path of Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. So if you haven't heard one through five, those are up and available for you to listen now. And during the next couple weeks, we'll upload the last two limbs. So you'll be able to come back to these eight episodes on the eight limbs whenever you want. Whenever you want to remind yourself of these teachings of yoga that every sincere yoga practitioner should be familiar with. Or if you just want a little bit of a reminder of why we do this practice, why we get on our mats every day. And if you're interested in learning more about us and what we do, or if you just want to stay in touch, visit our website www.miamilifecenter.com or follow us on Instagram at Miami Life Center. And one quick thing I wanted to let you guys know about is we just started accepting applications for our one-month Ashtanga Practitioners Intensive course with Tim Feldman, Kino McGregor, and MLC teachers. We offer a one-month of study during which we aim to instill in students the art of learning along this ancient path of yoga, as set forth by Sri K. Patabi Joyce and R. Shrat Joyce. For a 2019 course, we'll also be offering a full scholarship covering 100% of tuition costs and one partial scholarship covering 50% of tuition costs. If you have any questions, you can email me, monica at miamilifecenter.com, or you can check out our website, miamilifecenter.com, and you go under the Ashtanga Practitioners Intensive tab and you'll find information about the course, information about applying for a scholarship, about the teachers who are teaching in the course and some frequently asked questions. We even have some testimonials up there from past students. So that's it for now. Thanks for listening to Chat and Chai Yoga Talks from Miami Life Center. Namaste.